0: Welcome back to the Homestead Connection podcast. Today, myself, Kylie, along with Steph, Molly, and Brenna are here with our third episode in our mini series on self-sufficiency and self-sustainability. Today, we're talking about food, but before we dive in and talk about food, we have an exciting announcement to let you guys know about, and that is that we have decided to ditch traditional advertising when it comes to podcasting. We were presented with the opportunity to start advertising on our podcast, quote unquote, traditionally a while ago, but it felt really inauthentic to the podcast and it felt really inauthentic to who we are as people. So we said no to big box stores and big box companies and items manufactured in China. And instead, we really want to partner with and promote small USA businesses that have items that are either handmade or manufactured right here in the United States of America. Our listeners love shopping small, supporting local, and voting with their dollar. So let's get your business on our podcast and connect your business to our listeners. If you want to learn more, head on over to our website, www.thehomesteadconnection.com. Let's dive in and talk about layers of food preservation around our houses. Oh, my belly hurts. I feel like Brenna has the most experience when it comes to no I would say I feel like Brenna has the longest amount of experience when it comes to prepping and food storage but maybe I'm wrong because I've only been doing it truly probably since COVID so what three years same Brenna have you been doing it the longest then
1: I think Steph and I are basically on par. The difference and Steph, I'm gonna talk for you for a second. You tell me if I'm wrong. The difference between I think the two of us is that I don't I not until this year have developed the food skills around like canning or anything like that. So most of the foods that I've I've prepped, I've bought. So um, that's just where I started. I started to buy things in bulk that I ate or that I thought we would eat. We'll talk about canned ham at some point during this conversation, I'm sure. But that's um spam. Spam. Um, whereas, Steph, I think you have done a lot of canning, and so you've preserved a lot of your own food as opposed to buying like Uber stuff at Costco.
2: Well, true. Kinda like I have. I have a pretty good mix of my own canned stuff and then store bought stuff, whether that's bulk items or even just canned meats and vegetables and fruits from the store, only when they're on sale. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I don't think that
0: there's anything wrong with like buying stuff from the store and putting it away in bulk. And I feel like in a lot of ways that ends up being the easiest and most practical and mm-hmm. um, sometimes the most cost effective, but certainly the best way to use your time. I know all of us can and put large amounts of food away canning and everything like that. But it's so easy to go to the grocery store and like stock up on something that's on sale and throw it in Mylar bags or just have it sitting on your shelf in the pantry or whatever. So I feel like that's how a lot of people start is just like... You know there's nothing wrong with like oh you have canned spam or whatever Brenna
1: no no and I mean I'm not like ashamed of it or anything I just think that there's different pl- ways to start and you start where you are um, so yeah I've been I mean the way I started prepping food is way back I mean maybe 11 years ago we started just throwing big bags of beans into our farmhouse. And then what was funny is like, you'd go to cook them because they'd start to get kind of old. So you'd be like, okay, I'm gonna make some red beans and rice or something. And they took forever to rehydrate (laughs) because they had been sitting out for so long. I didn't know what a Mylar bag was, you know, this is almost pre-internet I'm talking about at this point. So it was, um, you know, bless you. It looked like that hurt. <laughs> I was gonna try to get the
0: I was trying to look to where the mute button was, but then I just couldn't keep my eyes open and then I almost peed my
1: pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um so yeah, so Sorry, I, I what I what I do <laughs> is I, I I shop Costco, I shop regular grocery stores, and then I do Azure Standard for bulk stuff, and I basically look for things that are cost-effective. At that point in time, things on sale, and I just buy whatever is on sale that I think we'll eat, you know what I mean? Spam is not in our normal diet, but sure. spam and eggs is delicious, and we have eggs out back from the chickens, and so spam and eggs is not not like off the plate when it comes to you know sustainable foods products
0: that's good we have, spam but. and eggs doesn't sound delicious but i feel like there's could
2: be a lot of ways to make that if you needed to spam and eggs with some like hot sauce or salsa oh, yes with oh, some that. cheese in a tortilla oh or on yeah i could eat that legit i think yeah, my whole pepper. family would
0: probably
1: eat that if they had to well you don't need a whole lot either
2: my yeah, just, just to
3: make this dinner They called it spam burgers. It's not really even a burger, it's like a loose leaf situation where it's just like brown beans and spam cut up in little like chunks and just cook together and then you put it on bread and you eat it and put a little cheese on top like i know it sounds like nasty looks disgusting all the things but we will still make it every once in a while because it's just one of those meals where it's like nostalgic like hey grandma and grandpa used to eat this and make this and it's actually not bad so if ever you know stuff goes down brown bean and spam it's pretty good for dinner too so that's cool right And
1: you can, those two things are very shelf stable. So you can get a big Mm -hmm. bulk of beans and then mylar bag it up. And then you got your spam and you only need a third of a can of spam really to feed three, four people because it goes so far. So it's not a bad thing, but learning to can meat is a great way of, you know, preserving better nutrients, less salt, less preservatives, you know, but I didn't know how to can meat at the time. So I started with what I knew.
0: Yeah. Steph, when did you start? putting food away like preserving food
2: uh it was about five five or six years ago so not quite as long as brenna but before covid (laughs) for sure yeah 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 it kind of started out the same way just you know starting out with canned foods from the store um bulk items especially rice dried beans all that kind of stuff um go ahead what do you do
0: with your dried beans or like, do you just Mylar bag them or do you dry can them?
2: Um, dry can. Oh, are you talking about like in the oven thing? In the oven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't done that yet, but is do you do that? No,
0: but I was looking at doing that. I was watching a YouTube. Uh, no, no, no. I was watching an Instagram reel on it. I've mm-hmm. seen a couple of them pop up. You know, I feel like a lot of people start talking about, canning and food preservation or like i feel like a lot of people start talking about food preservation and prepping right now i feel like at least that's the shift like the reels on my instagram have gone lately and so i've seen a couple of people dry canning and just saying how like yeah this is kind of a controversial way of prepping food but it actually is really safe so i didn't know if you had first-hand experience
2: no not with that because i've seen people do it with beans and i want to say they've done it with rice and flour too yeah, but I don't yep. know beans, rice, wow. flour, um, like lentils, peas, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, no, I haven't done that. Um, just for the most part, just mylar bagging. Um, I haven't canned beans yet. I plan on doing that this weekend, but like actually, let me know how that
1: goes canning them. Yeah, because what I bought recently. Mm, and I can't remember where I bought it from, if it was Costco or if it was Azure, but I have like 25 pounds of the 15 bean soup because I love 15 mm. bean soup, and you throw that in with a ham hock and collards or whatever green you want, and it's to me it's delicious. I will eat that all the time. I literally um,
0: just made that for dinner two nights ago. Yeah,
1: I mean, this well, is like it a tw- was nine bean. I didn't know that 15 <laughs> beans was even an option. <laughs> I found the 15 We'll <laughs> have to compare what those other, you know, <laughs> six beans are <laughs> um, and then garbanzo beans. So I do a lot of garbanzo beans because you can make hummus out of garbanzo beans. You can make a lot of Indian cuisine with, out of garbanzo beans. They're good in salad. They're good in, you know, just about anything. And it's a great way to get protein that's not meat based. So yeah. I try to think about what I know how to cook and what I can kind of pull out of my pantry and make Mm -hmm. any kind of meal out of and it's been kind of fun because with the prices of things getting so expensive and they keep getting Mm -hmm. more expensive this past i want to say week and a half or so our meat has come from our freezer, so it's come from all the stuff that we stock from a meat perspective in our freezer. And then everything outside of the vegetables has come from our pantry. And it's been a lot of fun to see, you know, what I can put together based off of what's been in there. So it's been kind of a nice little test run. Um, I've mm-hmm. got a lot of food right now. So I was like, well, let me start cycling through some of this stuff so it doesn't get old. You know, it's
0: just like a- What's challenge people do in January where They don't go there's there's like a hashtag or a name for it where people don't go to the grocery store in january and they try to just like eat through their stock you know what i'm talking about
3: no but i do know i do know what you're talking about i don't remember what it's called but it's almost something along the lines of a pantry challenge or something along those Mm -hmm. lines where you just eat what you have don't go to the store you get creative with your foods Yep. you know it's not always convenience it's more about creativity at that point and what you can do to you know feed your family Um, but yeah, I normally see it at the beginning of the year, and it's really cool and inspiring. Honestly, I have never done it; it's kind of daunting. Yeah, but I really want cool to watch. I wanna oh, try. I want to do that. Try it. So Jordan
2: Page from Fun Cheap or Free, she has always done shelf timber in September. Um, you still go to the grocery store, but you give yourself like a micro budget, like. She's uh-huh. Mormon, so she's got eight kids, I think. Um, and she normally has like $25, $50 during shelf timber for her entire family for their weekly budget on groceries. Everything else has to come from their pantry, their fridge, their freezers. Oh, interesting!
0: Cool. So she's really just getting like vegetables Fresh, and yeah. fruits or Fresh whatever. Fresh stuff, yeah. Fresh produce.
1: That's yeah, what I've just... been doing for this past week, and it's been – kind of fun i would love to do that in january i think we should probably do like a challenge between i think
0: it'd fun us. i was talking yeah. To, yeah we should do the four of us that's a good <laughs> idea i told uh-huh. nate literally just last night though if he had ever heard of it and i was like what do you think about doing that and it almost feels like cheating though because for us i feel like it feels like cheating because by january we'll have are we have all of the chicken from the summer we just picked up a hog and we'll have half a beef in the freezer and then i have so many frozen vegetables and canned things i'm like it feels like cheating because i think it's going to be so easy and he's like it's not going to be nearly as easy as you think it's going to be no
2: because you're going to get burnt out your brain's not going to want to think up meals and yeah yeah
1: I mean if you think about like Little House on the Prairie and when they at least like Little House in the Woods in the first book they talk about prepping for winter it's it's actually perfect from a, a January perspective it's the coldest one of the coldest months of the of the season um and it's yeah. when people would generally be eating out of their stores so I think it's mm-hmm. an uh, a neat little and applicable challenge for the time of the year that it is and it's yeah. it's also important to remember that the food that you that you stock in that way is not Forever, you know, the beans are when you put them in mylar bags, they go for 25 years. But, you know, like your chicken stock, if you if you buy store bought chicken stock, that kind of stuff, it does have an expiration date. And while it can go past that expiration date, I don't like to. So I try to rotate that kind of stuff out. And then I have my long term dehydrated stuff that stays in tubs that's kind of tucked in the back. And I've got I think I've got like a year and a half, two years or something like that of that food, um, which is all like dry baggied up and somebody else did the, did the dry freezing, or was it called freeze dryer? Freeze-drying. I want a freeze-dryer.
3: I think that's my biggest hesitation when it comes to food storage is I'm intimidated by expiration dates. Like I don't like when something goes like days past, like that gives me like almost anxiety. Like I was drilled, like it was drilled in my head, like when in doubt, throw it out. Like that's what I learned in school. That's what my parents taught me. And to kind of go past an expiration date or to like bag up flour in a mylar bag, put the oxygen absorber in there and it's shelf-stable for how many years? Like how, like to me, like I just, I can't, I'm so ingrained in my brain that that's not okay. That it's hard for me to like flip that switch. And so it's super intimidating. So like what, you know, one, how do you know and where do you find like the correct information on how long those things can be stored? And two, how do you change your mindset to let it, let you be okay with doing that? You know, do you kind of get what I'm saying?
0: I totally get what you're saying. if you want to take it? I don't have a great answer for it, though, because I'm with you where I feel like we didn't eat a ton of leftovers in my house growing up. And we did throw a lot of that stuff away. And it really was like, oh, when in doubt, throw it out. And, like, even before there was any doubt, it was pretty much just thrown away. And so um, I feel like I've come through like a big transition in the last probably 2 years where I feel a lot more comfortable not with like fresh foods like dairy products or like produce or whatever but like things that are in a can or in a sealed bag where I'm way more comfortable with the idea of Letting it sit in a bag for months longer because they do they even really know how long it's good for? It's, in my opinion, it it's almost like yeah they have to say that in terms of like liability or to keep themselves safe, but do they really know it's not good after this date or this range? I don't know.
2: I don't it
1: depends know. on how it's kept. But I see Steph grabbing a bo- a book, so I'm kind of curious to see what she has to say before I to give you guys where I got it from. Steph in her book. While she's looking that up, Brenna. <laughs> do you um do
0: you go through like your 25 year Stores like do you actually open that stuff and use it or because it's like good for like quote-unquote 25 years You just like let it sit and you don't try to go through that and like eat it? Yeah, up?
1: so I let it sit But the first round that I bought is coming up on 25 years now It's it's okay past 25 years cuz it's freeze-dried, right? Um, so it's okay past 25 years. It just starts to lose what they say is that it starts to lose its nutritional value um, But it really depends on how the thing is kept I, I probably and maybe I'll do a, a thing on Instagram or something and I'll, I'll open up one of the boxes and kind of go through it and maybe even heat up a couple of the, it's like an MRE, you know, like the different pieces of food that they have in there. I have three days supply. Yeah. We each carry, so we have go bags, right? And so we each carry three days worth of supply in our go bag. And then we also have emergency bars that go on top of that that can keep you for another three days. So I've got six days of food supply that everybody carries in their go bag, um, as well as a way to heat and, um, what's the word disinfect or whatever your water so to me it's like those things have stayed in there and they've been in there for a long time now so it's probably about time to take them out and start to check them out
0: i'm still just feeling some kind of a way that you said that you're coming up on 25 years since you bought your first pack which means i was nine (laughs) yeah i'm old okay (laughs) nine (laughs) when you oh. bought your first 25 so i was right at the beginning of the episode where i was like i think brenna has
2: the longest most experience
1: yeah i guess i don't really think about it i'm
2: proud of Thanks. you like yeah i've been way ahead of I've the paranoid
1: for a long time that's what happens when your husband's in the military but um yeah i have 25 I, have, I started out with three no yeah what are you doing with the three i was three. three you were three <laughs> shut up y'all okay <laughs> I was eight. <laughs> Molly's just making this
3: all feel old. I'm sorry, all right, you guys, I'm such an old soul.
1: <laughs> I, uh, but yeah, so I bought, I started out with three months and then I just kept on adding from there. And then I also keep a seed bank as well. And that seed bank goes in my long-term storage as well. And then those seed banks can last for like 25 to four, 35 years or something like that. And so the the thought is, is that I have enough freeze dried food to keep us going and then I could start to plant the garden and then and all of those are like heirloom seeds so you can continuously save your seeds. So layers layers of preparation. That's it's cool. I find it fun. Like I would not suggest you do it unless it, you find some sort of enjoyment out of it. Steph, what'd you find? Did you find anything on the Um
2: No, the book I was looking in didn't have like a shelf stable like breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. But I do know that, um, I know for sure with Wallaby Goods, when they when you get your Mylar bags, they send you like a list of how many years everything is supposedly good for, as long as you put in the right amount of oxygen absorbers and all of that. I don't know about other companies because that's the yeah. only one that I've bought from. Um, but, to the point of like how do you change that mindset when you buy a bag of flour from the store it's in essentially a paper bag right oxygen can get in that it's only good for like what a year i don't know how long the expiration dates are on them um but if you some some stuff i feel like is good even for
0: up to like two years or more because for example i have mixes like muffin mixes in the cupboard that I bought almost two years ago that don't expire until February of 2024 so they'll be a solid two years old you know since I purchased them and they're just Mm -hmm. in those plastic bags well I
2: mean that's better than the paper bag that the flour is just in sitting on the shelf in the store but when you yeah I guess decant that into a Mylar bag, change that over to a Mylar bag. You're putting it into something that oxygen already can't get into. You're sealing that up with an oxygen absorber. So any oxygen that did get in there while you were putting it in there, it's sucking that out. So it is not getting the oxygen. It's not, that's what's going to make it go bad. It's not getting light because it's in, what's the right word, opaque? (laughs) an Mm -hmm. opaque Opaque. um, container opaque. so the two main things that cause things to spoil you it's not going to get there well Hmm.
1: and then also knowing like what bad things can happen so flour if you eat old flour Mm -hmm. it's not going to hurt you the thing about flour and this is going to gross everybody out is that there's weevil eggs in there and as the flour ages the weevil eggs hatch and so then you get weevils, which are like little itty-bitty beetles, in your flour. They will not make you sick. Don't ask me how I know this, but they will not make you sick.
3: And the extra flower protein, will not make Brenna. you sick.
1: It is extra pl- protein. And <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I will not name names, but I know it's somebody. It's a whole different type of enrichment. That has made a cake out of it and just said that it was vanilla bean. <laughs> so I did not do that, oh, but I know somebody it. that did. <laughs> no.
3: But it is extra protein.
1: They're not going to hurt you. You know, but that's that's how flour goes bad. So I throw my flour in the freezer and then that kills all of the eggs, you know, and you're not going to be able to find them. So don't go digging through your flour because you're not going to find the eggs. They're teeny tiny and the same color as the flour. So. Um, the other thing that I am just recently coming into that I'm probably way more excited about than I should is um, trying to find things that have multiple uses. So I've been griping to whomever will mm-hmm. listen to me about brown sugar. I hate brown sugar. I hate that it bricks up. I hate having to store it. I feel like it's not as good a quality. All of those things. Same thing with powdered sugar. I don't like powdered sugar. So <laughs> prejudiced. <laughs> Oh my God, we gotta take it there. Powdered sugar too, which is like stark white. All right, y'all. Um, but you can take <laughs> regular flour, or regular, flour sugar. regular sugar, and you can mix molasses in it and make your brown sugar and then it stays nice and mobile and it's a better mm-hmm. quality because you made it out of your sugar. So I've been tickled pink about that because I, I've just fought with that brick of, of brown sugar for so long. And then powdered sugar, I guess, is cornstarch and sugar. And so you just grind it up until it's a powder. Mm. So I'm going to do that this weekend and see if I can make powdered sugar because I will be in hog heaven.
2: I think (laughs) you can just do it with just cane sugar. I don't think you have to have the the cornstarch in there. Cornstarch probably just keeps it from sticking. I think the
0: (laughs) cornstarch
2: is anti-caking.
0: The corn starch like the small amount of cornstarch in it i think is the anti-caking agent because once you get it so fine it
1: clumps mm-hmm. together so much easier mm-hmm. It's powdered sugar yeah and it's like a cup of uh, yeah that's what the way good. it was explained to me so it's a cup of sugar to and then like a tablespoon i think of um cornstarch so it's like a minute amount and then you throw that all in the blender and grind it up until it's the powder consistency that you want so but the, what that means is that you can buy sugar whatever kind of sugar you like and then stick that in mylar bags and keep it and I buy sugar bulk so now I don't have to worry about storing all the other mm-hmm. kinds of sugar which makes me way too happy
2: and then molasses <laughs> stores for a long yeah. while too mm-hmm.
1: molasses is a great thing to keep on hand
2: well and hmm
0: This is one of those things that so far removed from like our generation. We're only like one or two generations removed from molasses being like a household staple because there's so many benefits to actually having quality molasses within your home. So, you know, we pay for the convenience of brown sugar. Most people don't even know that it's super easy to make brown sugar at home. But then when you make it at home, not only can you pick your, you know, raw sugar that you're using, you know, raw unbleached sugar, and then you put in like you know your really good, high quality blackstrap molasses or whatever, and then you're actually cooking with something or using something in your dishes that has just a little bit of value to it. You know, I don't know. We're just so far removed from how things actually came about or
1: how things were really made. It's mind blowing oh to me gosh. the more I Yeah, learn. I mean, like, I'm, I'm I'm kidding around a little bit, but I've bought like six pounds of, of brown sugar because I bake and I like brown sugar and I like it more in my coffee. And it turns into this bloody brick. It's like a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you've <laughs> got this massive five pound brick of sugar and I'm chipping away at it. And my, you know, yeah. so yeah, I was literally dancing.
0: It's because you're not storing it right, Brenna. I, I it's know, I, yeah,
1: I know and I have put it in the microwave (laughs) and I've done all of the different things and I just, I make it myself now. And you're right. I can put good molasses in there and my good sugar. And then you only have Mm -hmm. to prep, you only have to stock, what, two things, molasses, which you can use for many different things and then sugar. There's a lot of stuff like that. I think, I think we've forgotten with the convenience of the grocery store, how many things we can make at home with just a few ingredients, you know?
0: For sure. I know we've talked about like different types of food storage and preservation in our houses, but I think we should talk a little bit about how there can be different layers to storing foods within our houses. You know, I think it can feel very overwhelming t- to people who don't have a lot of experience when it comes to like having food stores in their house or wanting to have extra food on hand or even putting food away for like 25 years. What does that even look like? How does someone even store food for 25 years versus like having a practical amount of food within their homes for a reasonable amount of time. So I think it'd be interesting for us to like talk about that a little bit and break it down for people who are maybe kind of new to the idea of layers of food storage and food um, security.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, the most the best thing to do is start where you're comfortable and where you can financially afford to start and where you have space. You know, if you're Living in an RV, or you're living in an apartment, Mm -hmm. you're probably not going to want to have an entire corner of your house just yet, because it does get addictive, but you won't want an entire corner of your house, like dedicated to cans of food, (laughs) right? Um, I started with the 25 year because it was freeze dried food. I could pull it out before that you know and also I grew up in Florida so you know those things may have come in handy sooner rather than later so all I would need is clean water and then I in a heat source and I could cook the food no matter where I was so I started with those because one the company was running a a, a promotion and so I got it for a pretty good deal and then um And then two, like I felt more secure Mm -hmm. that somebody else was doing it than I was doing it because I didn't trust my skills. Now that I know what mylar bags are, I mean, we're talking, I had, I was ignorant, you know, I just knew I wanted some sort of security. So now that I know what mylar bags are, you can do that same exact thing in a little bit different format with using things like rice and beans and those things will keep just as long in mylar bags too. flour sugar, you know, the basis of how we could like our yeah. cooking from scratch conversation. You need to, it's the building blocks of those food items mm-hmm. rather than prepared food items. So you can, from a 25 year perspective, you can buy the brand new, you know, somebody else for, you know, freeze dried it and packed it, or you can go ahead and do your own and, and save the dry goods that you would use to build your own from scratch, you know, products.
0: Um, no, I think that's I think that's interesting. I don't have any 25 year food storage at all in our house. So, nothing freeze dried whatsoever. The type of food preservation that I have is very much like stuff in my kitchen, stuff in my pantry, and then things in mylar bags that I know are going to be shelf stable for what 10 years, 25 years. So, I mean, I guess technically I have stuff that's shelf stable for 25 years or whatever. Uh-huh. But when I started putting food away. Intentionally, kind of during COVID, it was from the perspective of like, okay, what if my family has to quarantine? And this was when things were very chaotic and um, kind of scary. And I was work, I work in healthcare, so I was working like COVID ICU all during COVID. And so the concept of like my family having to quarantine was like very real because of the job that I had. So I started putting food away. And looking at what are the 10 meals that my family eats the most commonly that we like the most that I can put away to have on hand for, you know, an extended amount of time, two weeks of time. Plus, there was the toilet paper shortage and the paper towel shortage. And like, everybody was buying like canned goods like crazy. And so I didn't really get caught up in the panic of it in the sense that I was like, oh, this end of the world type situation, because Nate and I have never really been that way. But it was very much just like, if i needed to feed my family for an extended period of time because i had to quarantine and then my husband had to quarantine and then god forbid the girls had to quarantine we could like stay in our home and not need food for a month so that's what i did and also in that season nate and i were really transitioning to like yeah wanting to be more self-sufficient um even before covid and then that was like you know i've said before covid was the catalyst to us like homesteading and being more self-sufficient and stuff like that but um then i just continued to build on that and then like, you know, what my garden became more purposeful, because I knew that I could actually can that food to put on a shelf. And it would be good quality food that I grew myself that would be good on the shelf for two years, three years, however long we feel like our canned foods are good for. So I feel like that was for me a really practical way to start, putting food away in layers where it's like, I had the stuff that was in my kitchen and my cupboards that I reached for every single day. But then knowing that in the pantry, I had a reasonable amount of food that would, my family would actually eat that really did provide a sense of like security when we were first starting out.
1: Yeah. I mean, the ideal situation is to be able to grow and can your own food because then you are self-sufficient but if you are you know 20 year old brenna and you're trying to figure out how to be more self-sufficient you know on your own um and you don't have that kind of knowledge i went Mm -hmm. to see what what kind of companies were doing it or what did i know that we ate that i could trust so it's i think it just depends on what your skill set is and where you are in your in your journey just as a as a human because it's not even prepping and it's not even homesteading it's just to me it's being responsible because the government's not necessarily going to be there to help you your neighbors aren't necessarily going to be there to help you so how do you make sure that you can help yourself and and provide for your family for me that was freeze freeze freeze-dried items for you that was you know Mm -hmm. buying what was you know maybe one or two extra things putting it in your pantry and then you know honing your skills i just think it depends on where you are you know, in your development.
0: And it is interesting. You say Um, like how it comes in layers because you know, there's, Oh, that initial layer of things I could get from the store that my family would eat for a short amount of time. And then the layer was, okay, how can I expand my garden to can these foods or freeze these foods? And now I'm at a place where I'm looking at our foods. Like I'm literally looking at our food storage, um, over here and saying like, how can I expand this again? Like what's the next deepest layer to like provide just that titch more bit of security if we needed it. And so for us, that actually does mean like, you know, maybe not 25, but like, yeah, freeze dried foods or things that I know are going to be shelf stable for 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, et cetera. So it's like you said, it really comes in layers and it's a growth process as we learn more. And like Molly said, like, how do you get comfortable with it? Like as you become more comfortable with it and like stuff like that.
1: Oh yeah, my answer to that. So there's a podcast that I in a or a video podcast or I don't know. I don't know all these terms, but it's uh oh gosh, what is it? Doug and Stacy. Yeah, Doug or and Stacy. I love them. Their YouTube channel. Um, YouTube channel, and they. I don't know if that's like a vlog or you know whatever. <laughs> um, they they talked about it in one of their YouTube you know, presentations around what does Best Buy mean? What does sell by mean? What does, you know, don't Mm -hmm. touch it after this date mean? Uh, And what kind of like, how far can you push it? But for me, if when in doubt, I cook the ever loving mother out of it, and Mm -hmm. then I eat it first. And if I don't get sick, then it's safe to feed to everybody else. very, rudimentary <laughs> hey give it to Mikey mikey will eat anything kind of like attitude but when you start to s- spend the money and the time on doing this stuff it's it becomes it becomes kind of like a hoard a little bit you know like you want to make sure you use it you want to make sure you value it and all of that stuff um, yeah something that's interesting that when you were talking Kylie that kind of like reminded me is if part of your progression is you've gotten goats and so now you know kind of one of those items that you might start to think about is how do I make sure that my goats are fed or my chickens are fed because they are providing that sustainability and that food prep in a, in a fresh way and so you have to make sure that they're cared for in a environment where they need to be. Um, so and I don't know husband. that you freeze dry hay necessarily. Right. No, but
2: like not I love
0: my husband just so so much and not to throw him under the bus at all. And I would say this if he was sitting right here next to me because I've said it to him before. When we bought hay for the winter, he thinks we should only buy hay now through January because we can get more hay come January because we know the guy. And I'm just like, I don't care if we know the guy, honey. Like, I don't Mm. care if he's got three barns full of great alfalfa hay. Like, I wanna know that we have a year's worth of hay available for these goats he's like oh it'll be fine it'll be fine and like I said I love him so much but his like little mantras it'll be fine it'll be fine and he's really quick to say oh you were right but I really would just rather not hear that I was right and just have enough hay to feed the goats for a year you know.
1: Yeah, I don't know honestly if hay keeps for that long. You know what I mean? Can you keep hay for a year or does it start to go bad or do you get rats? You know like that's the other thing to figure out is what's your environment and how are you storing the thing? Because storing things in like Florida for example are very different than storing things here in Colorado. We're very dry. I don't have to worry about nearly as much here Mm -hmm. from a mold perspective as I did in Florida, but here You have to worry about rats. You know what I mean? So it's making sure that everything is sealed. Uh, Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Not going to scare everybody with that experience, but you have to make sure that your food is sealed and that you have a good rat or from a cat perspective and that, you know, you're, you're not feeding the varmin because vermin, varmin, whatever, Mm -hmm. varmints, (laughs) because they, uh, they get hungry during the winter. Whereas in Florida, the food is so plentiful. They never come in the house. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. 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 So where do you live? How do you live? What's your, you know, situation like from a storage perspective all comes into play with food storage?
0: No, I think that that's especially as we're talking about layers, when it comes to food storage, it's like, yeah, your fridge and freezer felt like enough at first, but then you need one deep freezer and then somehow two deep freezers. And then it was like (laughs) one shelf in the basement and then it was two shelves in the basement. And then it's, you know what I mean? And so you really do have to consider like... Do you have the space? Do you want the space? Like what fits your space? And then with the space that you have, what makes the most sense for your family? I mean, it's so nice to see these massive, beautiful pantries on Instagram, but that is not realistic for the majority of Americans. And so I think like really analyzing what's best for your family what type of food storage makes sense because then you can max or like what type of food makes sense to store so then you can like really hone in on using your storage space wisely
1: it's a great point I'm kind of curious real quick if you don't mind sharing and I'm going to look at Steph first because sometimes it it's also something that you have to protect from a conversation perspective Um, but Steph do you mind sharing kind of like where yours is in the house is it Is it like a whole garage full, or is it just like a smidge? And if you don't want to share, it's okay, because I know it's...
2: Um, So we don't have a garage or a basement. We just have closets, and then, of course, you have cabinets, and under the bed, under the couches, in drawers and dressers and desks and tops of closets, (laughs) like anywhere that there's a space, that is where food is, because... That's amazing. If I have space, I'm going to put something that I actually need there instead of going out and buying something frivolous that I'm not going to use in a year. You know what I mean? So, mm yeah. Yeah. Everywhere (laughs) Under the bed
0: is interesting. And my husband just built us a bed frame. My husband is like a very tall person for people who like don't know me in real life or don't follow me on Instagram. My husband is a very tall person. So he built a new bed frame for us. And at first I was giving him crap for how tall it was because I legitimately have to like heave myself (laughs) up into bed. But we can fit Rubbermaid totes under our bed now. So...
1: Oh, it's like more storage opportunities. See, that's brilliant. Mine's all in the basement right now. Um, I've got a room that's dedicated. It's like a oh, I don't know. I'm terrible at space. It's like five by ten five by eight something like that and it's just okay. it's just wire shelves like i know what you're talking about from an instagram perspective and you see all these beautiful shelves and everything and to me that can yeah. sometimes be defeating because mine doesn't look anything like that but it's functional and it works and it's safe and there's airflow and there's all the things that i need for the food to stay good um but mm-hmm. it doesn't look that pretty so you start where you
3: can you know i have a very uh, naive question because i literally bought mylar bags um they're still in the bag that they came in i have not used them yet i have i do not have anything besides anything i have canned like stored like i have bags of beans but i've never put them in something it's like i need to do it but like my question is so i have these mylar bags i'm gonna put my stuff in there i'm gonna use my straightener to you know crimp the top or whatever you want to call it so it's heat you know it's closed what's the difference so i have two questions i guess what's the difference between that and like doing that in a ziploc bag because i assume or not a ziploc bag uh like a vacuum sealed bag because i assume you could buy oxygen absorbers on amazon and do it that way i understand that it's not the opaque bag so it might not last as long but if somebody didn't have you know the resources to go buy all the mylar bags to do this could you in theory use a um, like a vacuum seal bag, and then like store it in like a t- dark tote, so you don't have that light. I would say so.
1: That's
2: a good question. Hmm. I don't
3: see why you couldn't.
1: Yeah, the only thing that I would so my experience with vacuum seals is that sometimes they lose their vacuuminess. You know what I mean. So you know, as long as they did yep. not lose their seal and you you kept them in a dark space and even put like an oxygen absorber in there with them, I think it would be fine too.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay, it's just, I mean, not everybody has access or has the funds to go buy Mylar bags, but if they have the option at home to do it this way, like maybe that would work. So that was one question. My second question is, so we have the bags, they're sealed, they're ready to go. You know, you have people that put them on the shelves, you have people that put them in Rubbermaid totes. As far as like a natural disasters perspective, like if say we had flooding or we had, you know, a earthquake and like it's all this stuff, like how do I protect my storage so that way we are good to go? Like I know I'm not going to have an earthquake here in Minnesota, but like or like someone down in Florida, if, you know, they have another hurricane come through and it like their basement is flooded with water, like how do you know that your stuff is good? Like just because it's sealed on the top like you're not worried about it or you know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no basements in Florida, unless you go up to way north, but if I've actually thought about this, and like, I kind of was laughing at myself, because I'd be like lashing all of my stuff together to make a raft and be sitting on my food, like a big (laughs) water bug, you know, trying to like save my food. You don't understand, like between that, like that, that is my treasure, you know, it is like the security that I've gotten from a food perspective, a water perspective, all of my things that I've saved up. Um, But as long as the bag is sealed, you're good. The bag mm-hmm. just has to be sealed, you know. So if your flowers yeah. want wet, don't cook with it.
3: Right?
0: Yeah. Like even you know? for me, I'm not even considering necessarily from like a natural disaster perspective on this. Although a lot of people would and should. Mine is mice. So we have mice that will come in in the fall and winter, not like a lot, but some here and there. And so anything that I have that I don't have in Mylar bags, that's just like in a cardboard box with like the little thin plastic lining, that stuff I have in a Rubbermaid tote because then it's safe from water and it's safer from mice. And then anything that I have like on the ground, like touching the floor, I have in a tote. The stuff on my shelf just sits on a shelf, basically, though. Um, But the things on my shelves are canned in, like, actual, like, mason jars that I've canned or are canned goods that I've purchased. But I feel like anything that's not in glass or Mylar bags is pretty much exclusively in a Rubbermaid tote to, like, keep it dry in case we have, like, any moisture in the basement and then to keep it, like, safe from mice in in our house. I
2: even put my Mylar bag stuff in a tote because of mice and then of Mm -hmm. course we have tornadoes so you have the potential of that and then flooding with rain and stuff but um anything that is not in like a glass container or unfortunately plastic containers um like an airtight hard surface maybe hard container uh goes into a rubbermaid tote separately if that makes sense
3: no that makes total sense and then you know just talking about like how brenna like this like her prize possession and like she would be making a wrath of this stuff like okay heaven forbid any one of us ever has a house fire or they're in a wildfire or something like that or you know a natural disaster does happen like and we lose all of this stuff that you have prepped and prepared like is there such a thing as like um like you can get insurance on this type of thing in your house. Like I know people get insurance on like their, you know, firearms, their wedding rings, like different policies on different things like is that su- like a thing like because like you put how much time and money into this like it's of value. Is that something that's insurable?
1: It's uh, anything that's in your house is insured by your house insurance. Mm-hmm. So, so but yes. like you can get so, I mean, extra probably- policies
3: for certain things, right? Like, so like I just didn't know if that was something I don't even.
1: Know. i've never seen a policy around food storage i mean i think it's somewhat of a, a it's coming into popularity i think people are losing trust in you know our uh, supply chain and people are just wanting to kind of you know be a little bit more self-sufficient and a little less dependent on you know the traditional ways of getting food uh, but i don't know of anybody that's like you know like farmer's insurance that's for like food prep it would probably just fall underneath whatever kind of house insurance you have and i mean you could put it i guess you know some people not me but i've heard of some people actually storing it off location and storing Mm -hmm. it in like a storage unit or something like that so that they have food both in their home but then they also have it further away i mean people get a little crazy like they will bury food Mm -hmm. you know they will rent storage units and they'll have it kind of like squirreled away in different places um Mm -hmm. to me if there's a house fire or something like that it's just going to be getting my kids my husband my pets you know like getting everybody out and safe right
2: yeah i mean essentially that kind of goes into like the go bags because you would have 72 96 hours of food and water and stuff in that but um right I mean, if you knew ahead of time that you needed to evacuate, obviously you're going to have limited space, but that's another reason why I have things stored in rubber-made totes, because if you if you have your system set up properly, <laughs> you have everything labeled and you know where everything is and what's in everything, and so you can grab what you're going to need, toss it in when you're loading up to evacuate, and mm-hmm. you have it with you. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, but I mean like a tote full of cans is going to be insanely heavy. So, you know, it's kind of you know, you take what you can carry and and you do the best that you can.
2: Honestly, that's kind of why we have goats and we have chickens. So, not having to store a lot of feed. Granted, I live in Texas. We don't technically get winter until January through February and then it warms up and we have green grass. And so the chickens and the goats can go graze and feed themselves and we don't have to. Um, So really we're only technically feeding our animals three months out of the year because the rest of the time they're grazing and free ranging. So that helps, but (laughs) I know not everybody has that luxury. So um, food storage for your livestock Mm -hmm. is another topic. Which, Brenna, I don't know if you were going into that, but no, but
0: like it is, it's it is something to consider. Like Brenna said earlier, it's like when we talk about the different layers that we want to have and the things we want to focus on, or maybe you know we're feeling very comfortable with you know this area or that area of different layers of food security or preservation around our homes, looking to consider what we need to keep on hand for these animals that we have for you know to sustain our families is really really important because like where i live they're not they're not grazing or free ranging from basically november through the beginning of april end of march you know so that's that's 5 months that we need to make sure that i'm intentionally mm-hmm. supplementing with grain i'm intentionally supplementing with quality hay and yeah i mean they're eating
1: dried leaves and acorns and they love that but that's only gonna last for mm-hmm. so long yeah yeah but there's still a benefit to having those animals and you know no if you're in an yeah. apartment you probably wouldn't be able to do chickens or uh, definitely not goats or if you're in a subdivision i do say kind Who of push. You, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, you can do quail and their eggs are adorable and delicious and they're very quiet. Um, yeah, and they're meat birds. And they're meat birds. Yeah, so they're, they're a full spectrum thing. You can do ducks. I love runner ducks. They lay an egg a day. Um, they don't need water to eat or to mate. So, you know, I just think that if you're able to add even like three chickens, you know, you will be able to have three eggs a day. Um You know, and there's, there's so much to be said for that, like nutrient, you know, dense food to be there and to be kind of like self replicating. So, but you do have to figure out how to take care of them.
0: Right. And they're, they're not cheap. It's not cheap to get started on those things. So being able to take care of them for as long as possible and being intentional about how we take care of them is important
1: yep yeah. yeah and then also realizing that what works for you may not work for somebody else is okay too you know i would say you know if you are somewhat of a history buff go back and see how they used to take care of them and then see what people are doing today and figure out what works for you and in your area because they are especially chickens they're a very like low attention animal, you know, you basically just have to protect them from predators and they're pretty good at free ranging and foraging on their own, you know, though you do get so much enjoyment out of feeding them, (laughs) at least I do. Um, And, and they're a great way to get rid of your chickens, your um, table scraps, scraps. you know, like, yeah, they're like a living compost bin for Mm -hmm. real. And then they, yeah, I mean, and they, there's a ad (laughs) and I'll try and find it. But there's an ad from World War II, back when they were doing the Victory Gardens and they were saying you have to keep, you know, you should keep chickens too. And if you feed them your table scraps, four chickens will keep you in eggs for a family of four, you know, yep. as long as you need it. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I get what they were saying, or maybe it was six chickens. It was something to that extent. Right, right, right. Um, but, but really very low attention yeah. needed for those animals.
3: Wasn't there some country, some town, somewhere recently that was doing that where they were trying to give chickens away or like incentivize having chickens for that reason? I'm pretty sure it wasn't in the U.S., but no, it was somewhere. Never,
0: would, never ever would it be the U.S.
3: <laughs> no. Um, but no, no.
0: I, I don't know if it was. I feel like I was. It was like that instagram audio reel that was like oh so popular that in yes. germany that they were doing that but i feel like that wasn't recent i could be wrong okay. though but i yes
3: that's what it was from it was from that reel on instagram it's just ingrained in my brain <laughs> it was super popular
1: well, it's kind of interesting too i mean not to get too far off topic but why is our why are is our culture to, like so dependent on other people to supply food like why does our government or does our social structure push us so hard to be dependent on somebody else for food chickens are not dirty first of all they're not loud um you know they're fair as long as you give them enough space and you you do some you know minute amount of care they're a very healthy animal just on their own yeah um So it kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to sit and think about because to your point, I mean, there's a lot of European countries that have banned things like our chicken. They won't even buy chicken from us because of some of the ways that we treat our, our, you know, our meat and stuff. Um, But so why, you know?
0: I don't know, but you know, the American culture really is probably one of the most Far the most removed cultures from their food. When you look at like the world, you know, so many other countries, even other countries that would be considered like high-class second world countries are so connected to their food, local markets, local farmers, very little like pre-packaged, very little, um, um, what's the word? Imported, very little imported foods where it's like the majority of our food, we're just so far, we're so far removed from our, our food.
1: Yeah. And we've got the land. (laughs) <laughs> we've got we've got the land. I mean, I was I was listening to this comedian the other day and he was talking about, you know, what is far for an American versus what is far for a Brit, you know? Um and, you know, we'll drive hours because our states are that big. Yeah. It takes eight hours to traverse the length of Florida, you know what right. I mean? The long way, and four hours the short way. Um and that's basically the entire island of the UK. Yep. You know, of, of England. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um it's interesting. We've got so much space and we have so much land and we just don't. We're just, we're, we're like shoved in like these little like m- metro areas and then we're not allowed to, you know, stay close to our food. Mm-hmm. And it's to me, it's a huge disservice, though I am seeing a change. I do feel like I'm seeing a shift.
0: Do you feel like you're seeing a shift or do you feel like you're seeing a shift because it's what we're saturated with in our like personal lives and on our social media accounts?
1: It could be. What's that? What's that soci- sociological thing where if you're looking for a car all of the time, all of a sudden the car that you're looking for you see everywhere. Yeah, yeah. it could be. Um, but you know, I work in a very corporate environment, and I've been doing it now for a really long time, and. Just the other day, for the first time ever, somebody started talking to me about food prep at work, and I about fell out of my chair because after all of these years, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say how many years because I'm tired of you making fun of how old I am, but for all of these years …
0: We've already established your age.
1: (laughs) For all of these years, we've been … you know, nobody ever wanted to talk to me about that stuff. They all looked at me like I was crazy. And so I do, I do think that maybe it's, it's a little bit more familiar to us because of what we have, you know, immersed ourselves in, but I also think other people are getting curious about it.
0: I think it depends some too, and I, this might be a reach, but personally, I don't think it is. It really depends on people's worldview and their values because someone who I don't know, I don't want to get, I don't want to speak too much out of turn, but like people who have traditional values and are family focused and really want to like do a lot for their families might just might take a little bit more seriously wanting to keep things closer to home and potentially like lead them down that path of like, oh, slowly becoming more self-sufficient, you Mm -hmm. know, versus someone who. Kind of does look to the government for everything. They want to look to the government for answers or for financial stuff or for healthcare or for whatever. When they're looking to something else or someone else or a different system or a different structure to provide them support versus themselves, I feel like that is, you know, a huge, a huge point of difference, but then also could really drive what people would want to do you know with their lives to potentially be more self-sufficient or whatever
1: yeah no i i get what you're saying you know and also if you have a family to provide for and a family to protect you're going to look for ways that you can do that rather than trust somebody else maybe whereas folks that are single you know what i mean or dinks right like to dual income no children kind of people they're not going to be as worried about it because they don't have Responsibilities that go beyond their nose and I you know, I don't mean that in like a disparaging way It again comes down to what you know, what do you need? Why do you need it? And how does it fit your lifestyle? um and that, that might be that you don't need, you know, six chickens in your backyard or you have no interest in taking care of those kinds of animals, but I guarantee you, you go through your first hurricane, you're going to wish you had some stuff saved. I don't care if you're two people, four people, or, you know, you know, a family of 14, you're going, you're going to want that kind of, um, You're going to want that that layer of security that other people don't necessarily have.
0: Brenna, one of the things you said earlier when we were talking is like, you know, someone who lives in an apartment might not have like chickens or might have more limited space when it comes to how they can actually store food in their homes. And I think that's a really good point to just kind of touch on for a second is that when we talk about food security, it doesn't necessarily have to mean food that's on our shelves in our homes. I feel like there's a huge element of community sufficiency that is like really valuable to consider and like knowing who is around us, you know, is it, you know, farmers markets or local farmers, or is it someone else who really like values buying in bulk or, you know, whatever, when it comes to like, having that food security and not necessarily having like the space.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, one of I, – actually, I would f- – look, st- storing food is a temporary thing. You will run out of it eventually. So mm-hmm. it's really just a Band-Aid to get you to the next level, which is either leveraging your own resources, your own animals, or other people's. And to me, community sufficiency or knowing what's around you and leveraging the farmer's markets or the farmers or your next-door neighbor or whatever is, um, is a way to support other – Businesses within your community, so you're you're getting back to that like village mentality of you know you support the people that you're closest to geographically, um, and then everybody wins. You know, and yeah. in a really crazy situation, you know there may not be, it might not be monetary compensation. It might be bartering, which is a whole nother topic that we're going to get into in another segment. Um, And then we get to talk about cigarettes and alcohol, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) but it's, 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 um, to me, community sufficiency is almost a better place to start even than just, you know, storing cans, you know, but you do what you're comfortable with.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I don't know. And we have done an episode on community sufficiency. Actually, Brenna and Steph, did you guys do that one?
2: I think
1: Was so. Yeah, I think you
0: did. Anyways, I'll link our whole podcast episode on community sufficiency below because it has some pretty good. Um, there's some pretty good stuff in that podcast episode. It's worth listening to, and it's very applicable to anybody, no matter kind of your season of life or living living situation.
1: And you'd be kind of amazed at how many farms there are you know, within 45 minutes to an hour from you, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of fascinating. I mean, 30 minutes from me, there's two dairy goats farms, dairy goat dairies. What do you call a dairy goat? Yeah, goat dairies. Like goat dairies. Yeah. 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 There's two of those, <laughs> you know, uh, there's, there's beef cattle that are like an hour and a half away. So it's, it's interesting how, and I live, you know, I live close to a very large city. So it's, um, it's interesting how close those folks are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What are some resources that you guys have that you've either used or recommended when it comes to, like, building your food storage or learning about how to preserve food and store food?
2: <laughs> we both so, so excited. Go, no, girl. Just go <laughs> yeah. tell us. Tell us all the things. I don't want to cut Brenna off. We both breathed at the same time. Um, no, you, you go. <laughs> so I have two. One is the website, Easy Prepping. It's the letter E, the letter Z, and then prepping.com. Um, they have a bunch of different articles. Um, they even have uh, products. That's the word. Actual products that you can purchase <laughs> from them. Uh, but they have calculators on their website. So you can go through the food storage calculator, and you can do... Um, enter in how many people are in your family if you want to do it for two weeks i think it's two weeks a month three months six months a oh, full year whatever it is um, there's also a water storage one there's how many calories do you need to survive calculator um, and prepping budget calculator are the four different calculator tools that they have you enter all the all of the information it asks you for and it breaks down everything it'll give you a list of for the four people you have in your family for two weeks, you need to store X amount of rice, X amount of flour, X amount of beans, X amount of whatever it is. Uh, But it will kind of lay all of that out for you. Obviously you can adjust this to what your family is actually going to eat. That's the most important thing. Don't store it if you're not gonna eat it (laughs) because then you're just wasting resources, money, time, space. For other things that you mm-hmm. would actually use. Um, so, yeah, there's that website. The next thing is I am not Mormon, but the LDS Preparedness Manual. <laughs> and no hate on people who are. No, That's not who at I all, was going to but... pull up with the book. It's so good. <laughs> yep. So, you can purchase the printed book or. I got, um, I just printed mine offline for, well, it cost me the ink to print it, but I got it for free and then printed it, put it in a binder. Um, so you could either purchase the printed book um, or go to their website. Oops, sorry, I almost dropped it and get it from there. Um, I want to say, it is from LDSAV, as in Victor, OW.com. Um, I think that's it yep that's his website
0: and there'll be a link down in the description and to also you guys like the easy prepping site some of the calculators that Steph just mentioned and the LDS preparedness manual is that what it's called Mm -hmm. the LDS preparedness guide um they're over on the Homestead Connection website under our resource page Mm -hmm. we talk about it sometimes but not as often as honestly we should because there's a ton of stuff over there we have like more than a hundred links to free resources over on the HomesteadConnection.com under the resource tab and the things that Steph's talking about are linked over there as well but i'll put them in the description of the podcast as well
1: the the neat thing about the book is that it is free you know so if you i mean i chose to buy it and buy it bound but it is it is a free thing that the lds and i'm i'm not mormon either but um It's interesting, you know, that they give it out for free. I think you can put like your email in there and then they send it to you. Uh, They have everything. I mean, I'm flipping through it right now and they have this miscellaneous segment. And in there is even money and How much money should you have on hand per person and how what the priority is for purchasing it? So they actually prioritize things for you based off of what it what you know, what their values are So you, of course you always shift based off of what you value or what you can even do at the time They've got clothes they had in here a communication segment, which we're going to get to at some point um, You know, so it's it's really It's really worth its money in my opinion, Um, and this is the second rendition of it But I think on that website they have both both the first version and the second version in there um so you know kind of going back to how i started and how i was somewhat commercial about it and i i bought from a site um the site that i went to is called for patriots uh and you can buy food supplies freeze-dried already packaged already in a tote like i said i'll go on instagram and, and take pictures of it and show you guys what it looks like um not the cheapest right it's not the cheapest way of doing it but it is the most convenient and if you're not necessarily trusting your skills which is where i was very much sitting at that time i felt better knowing that somebody was doing it and you know and i trusted that a little bit more than i trusted myself right wrong or indifferent you know you definitely want to build up those skills and that confidence yourself but let's face it we're not all always there so for patriots is where i went and then there was this other one called My Patriot Supply that I've also purchased from. Um, and it's just kind of fun to go through those sites and see. And they, they run specials and sales all the time. So those are the, and we're not sponsored or anything, but those are the two that I went to that were commercial. And also, I mean, I you know, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, um, Amazon carries a lot of stuff too so if you're curious and you want to read reviews and all of that stuff it's also kind of fun to kind of peruse Amazon and see what they have from a uh, from a food storage perspective I would say buyer beware I trust those other two sites much more than I trust Amazon but sometimes it's kind of fun to kind of poke around in there and see what kind of cockababy ideas they've got.
0: (laughs) and like the four patriots site and the um
1: shoot what was the other one you mentioned uh it's called yeah, my Patriot
2: supply.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There a lot of them uh just provide solely USA based yep. USA made, USA manufactured supplies. So with these sites, they're more than just food storage, they're also like security stuff or flashlights or water storage or like all of the communication. Like there's so many different categories on the sites that Bruna mentioned, and a lot of them are like USA source manufactured based products which is nice considering like the alternative was like amazon where it comes from china so Mm -hmm. and then not to like like to, I mean, we've talked a lot about mylar bagging, but mylar bagging is a huge part of long term food storage or longer term food storage. And I didn't start mylar bagging until last winter. So I'm still relatively new when it comes to storing things in mylar bags. I wasn't sure, besides seeing little snippets of it on Instagram or of other people who started using mylar bags, the Wallaby Goods website has a ton of tutorials and a lot of information, like good quality education and information. They're more than just product. Now, a lot of us use the Wallaby Mylar bags because they're really high quality and they have good sales and all of that stuff. But, um... They also have a lot of information if you're like new to mylar bagging or using oxygen absorbers or things along, like knowing how to properly seal things. So that's another good place to for resource on learning how to mylar bag, what to mylar bag, what type, how much, um, how many oxygen absorbers do you need, and things like that. We actually have an affiliate code with Wallaby Goods. The code is the Homestead Connection Five, and that will get you five dollars off of Mm -hmm. your order at checkout which is nice.
1: The other thing that I would say is that there are, this information is not Coveted by anybody, you know, so if people are very willing to share how they do things or why they do things Of course, you know, take it with a grain of salt make sure that you you know You check your sources multiple different ways, but I've learned a ton based off of YouTube um, Instagram and just kind of immersing myself in the, the food food prep survival <laughs> Survival is the wrong word, but you know the food prep and kind of you know those types of communities you can learn a ton of information
3: yeah.
0: Well, let's wrap this podcast episode on food up by giving people our recommendations on where they, where we would recommend they start when it comes to st- starting their long-term, short-term layers of food security. <laughs>
1: no pressure, man. <laughs> no pressure. Um, where I would start <laughs> – honestly before you buy anything is look at your family look what they need look where you are and look at where your finances are and figure out what works for you before you buy the first thing um that's that's where i, I would start and then you know and then move out from there and there's nothing wrong there is no shame in going to the grocery store like i said and buying you know 10 cans of green beans when they're on sale or mashed potatoes in the, like I have dehydrated mashed potatoes in those Idaho spud boxes, you know? So there's mm-hmm. no shame in any of that. But take a look at your family, see what you eat, see how much food you go through, use those calculators, you know, spend a little bit of time educating yourself first. Cause I could tell you that bag of beans that I finally dove into when it came time, none of it was edible. And so if I'd done a little bit of research first, I probably wouldn't have wasted that food. I mean, it went to the animals, but you know,
0: (laughs) yeah. For me, I would definitely reach back to my own experience because if I had to do things all over again, I feel like I would do it the exact same way. And that is, like I said, like earlier in the podcast episode, I really looked at at the meals and the foods that my family was consistently eating week in and week out. What were our favorite meals? What were my kids' favorite snacks? What was I baking and cooking the most? And I bought a surplus of those things. You know, we love having spaghetti, so I bought enough stuff to have 10 spaghetti dinners. I bought enough stuff to have 10 chicken and stuffing dinners. I bought enough stuff to have like 10 of like the main meals that my family really liked eating in a week. Um, And then same with the snacks. And to me, that was such a practical way to start storing food because I knew it was stuff that we would eat and it was stuff that we could eat in the shorter term. And it really like gave me a sense of security in a way that was financially practical and also made sense just what we were consuming. I think I did not make the mistake of – going out and buying tons and tons of rice and beans and lentils and 15 bean soup mix and like all of these things and like there's nothing wrong with doing that but like i didn't go run and purchase the foods that we didn't necessarily know how to like eat or ate on the regular i just really honed in to what we truly like kept in our rotation and i felt like that was a pretty good way to start and i would do that again
1: i love 15 bean soup quit hitting on my soup (laughs) (laughs)
3: I guess for me, from somebody who really hasn't started, some just tips that I've found on social media that I will be implementing when I do start um, that I think get missed oftentimes. So like say you bought a box of a gratin potatoes or whatever and you wanted to put it inside of a Mylar bag so it was like secured in the bag. A lot of people will just put the stuff in there, but never put the instructions or the directions on how to prepare the the item. Or like you're going (laughs) to bag out a whole bunch of beans or a whole bunch of rice or whatever you have. You don't have those instructions. And so I see people that will cut off the instructions, put it inside the Mylar bag and then seal it in the bag. Or people will take a Sharpie and then write it on the outside of the bag. And so I think that that's something that's really important. So that way you don't get it out and you're like, okay, now what do I do? Because you don't know <laughs> what you're supposed to do with it, right? That's like so make it a little bit easier on yourself when you actually need the food. So that's going to be my tip.
0: That's, that's a good one, Molly.
3: I
2: like that. Um, for me, what I did was kind of similar to Kylie going through making a – I guess an inventory list for a lack of better term of what we actually ate. And then when I would go grocery shopping, I would pick a couple of items. Let's just say I'm going to do canned vegetables this week is what I'm going to do for stocking up and I would buy one for now, two for later. So one would go in my pantry that I'm currently using two of those cans would go into my back stock pantry. And I guess I could have brought this up earlier, but I have my working pantry and then I have my back stock pantry. And then I have like my, my back stock back stock pantry. <laughs> So I rotate through everything that I have stored, but I'm constantly replenishing the oldest like Backs uh, longest lasting back stock first, I guess. Um, and then kind of moving that forward to what I'm currently using, if that makes sense. Um, Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Just pick a couple of things, even setting just a budget of $5 extra of things that I'm going to spend or $5 I'm going to spend on stocking up on extra things, whether that's a bag of rice or a bag of beans or a bag of rice and a bag of beans that's up to you how you want to do it but either pick a category that you want to do for that week and a budget or just set a budget and get what you can
0: no i think that's a really good point too steph because A lot of people right now don't have the surplus money or the surplus income to just go buy, you know, three hundred more dollars worth of groceries to go sit on a shelf. Like that is not practical for the, you know, middle class American or any American, right almost any American right now. So if you're like you're saying, ten bucks, grab a couple of extra things that you're already purchasing, already eating, setting them aside, really breaks it down in a way that you're not necessarily gonna notice it on your weekly or monthly grocery mm-hmm. budget but it'll still like build some storage and have practicality for you in the longer term
1: right the other thing just to add on just one more you know let's say you have zero dollars to spend right honing those skills understanding how to garden understanding where your community sufficient areas are you know maybe instead of buying your eggs at the grocery store start to you know uh, you know find a find a farmer near you, or somebody in your neighborhood near you that has eggs. um, It's another good way of kind of starting without actually having to spend money that you wouldn't be spending already, um, or even taking up space in your house. So finding those farmers is always, always valuable.
0: Excellent, so true. Cool. Well, I really enjoyed having this conversation. I feel like this was like a really practical conversation to have and one that a lot of people are mulling over in different ways. And so I hope that we've been able to like provide value to our listeners and like just, I don't know, encourage one another. I just love hearing your guys' perspective when it comes to some of these things, because I'm constantly learning and growing and wanting to shift how I do stuff.
2: So
1: I have enjoyed our conversation. I have too. I constantly learn. There's no one right way of doing anything, so it's just constant honing. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I hope you guys have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.